publishing a book is a victory, but it's not the end. After you sweep up the confetti and wash the champagne flutes, what's next? Authoring Onward is the podcast about those steps after your first publication. Going from published author to having a long-term writing career. And that has no clear endpoint and plenty of ups and downs. But telling stories for the long-term is so, so worth it. Sit back, listen, and together, let's author Onward. And welcome to another episode of Authoring Onward. I'm Connie B. Dowell. Joy E. Held does join us for the upcoming interview, um, but she did have some tech issues, so she had to write her questions in the chat, and I read them out loud, and that's how it we ended up working around that. But you know, life goes on, and you will definitely hear her voice next week um, in the interview that we have coming up for that time, where we did have much more... Uh, tech luck for that time. So, but moving right along, the interview we do have coming up is great. We talked to Liz Alterman and she talked about her circuitous path to publication, about resilience, and about how critique groups and critique partners can support you on the up and down journey that it is to to be a writer. And she also mentions her fascinating memoir, which went audio first, which I find really interesting. So, you know, not what you expect, but sometimes the things that happen in this publishing life are not what you expect, but it might be the next great opportunity. So have a listen to this interview with Liz. All right, so today um, I have on the podcast Liz Alterman. So welcome to the podcast, Liz. Hi, Connie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here to chat with you. I'm so glad to be chatting with you today. And unfortunately, listening in but not able to contribute um, is Joy E. Held. We had some tech issues, but she is going to type at least one question into the chat and kind of contribute to the conversation that way. And we will be reading that out loud so you guys can hear it. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Liz, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your books? Okay, sure. Thank you, Connie. Thanks for having me. I am an author and I, before that I was a journalist for many years and a freelance writer. And I guess around 2014, my husband and I were laid off from our jobs simultaneously. And so at that point I was kind of, you know, we were really floundering. We didn't know what we were going to do next. And my husband also had been in media. He'd been with the same company for 18 years. And so I sort of decided to start a blog almost. I joke that it was kind of like an online diary that where I was going to chronicle my descent into madness as I <laughs> kept applying for jobs and getting rejected and worrying about how we pay the mortgage and keep feeding our kids. And then, uh, as I took on an, a freelance assignment, 
It was to interview a woman who had founded a local writer's school. And at the end of the interview, I asked her, what's your most popular workshop? And she said, memoir writing. Everybody feels they have a story to tell and they want a chance to really you know, dig in and workshop that. And I guess I started thinking, oh, you know, maybe this time in my life, this weird period of us having no jobs and trying to figure out our next move at midlife could be an interesting way to, to get into a more creative writing flow and maybe try to write a memoir. So I did that. And it took about two years. And I know we were going, before you started recording, we spoke a little bit about how I'm a big fan of critique groups and workshopping. And so that was really, I think, instrumental in keeping me going in writing this memoir. But unfortunately, uh, when I found an agent and we went out with it, uh, all I got were rejections. I guess at the time we were told I wasn't a celebrity. I didn't have a big enough platform, which I think is, is something that intimidates a lot of memoirists and nonfiction writers, that whole idea that you need this platform and almost like a built-in audience. And so also at the time the economy was doing really well. So we were, we kept hearing everybody who wants a job can have a job. So nobody wants to hear about unemployment. <laughs> so that was really discouraging and I kind of shelved it for a while and went on to write a young adult thriller, um, which was, I guess, released in April of 2021. And that was exciting. But, you know, I guess along the way, I kept hoping that my memoir would find a home. And a friend of mine suggested I try Audible's pitch portal. And so I sent it through there. And within a month, an editor reached out and we had a lovely chat and she said that she wanted to acquire it. So in November of 2021, my memoir, Sad Sacked, was released uh, through Audible Original. And then I was very fortunate to just find a publisher who will release it in print and ebook form in June of 2024. Oh, so, right, I know, I'm sorry, that's kind of a, a long-winded description. Mm -hmm. And then this past summer, I had an adult thriller come out, uh, The Perfect Neighborhood, with Crooked Lane here in the US and Legend Press in the UK. So it seems a lot of people will say like, wow, you've been busy. But if you go back, it's really been over, <laughs> I guess, eight years that I've been kind of working working, you know, um, sort of cobbling one, one piece together after another and sending it out in the world and taking a lot of rejection and trying to deflect and keep going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people do look at, um, in this particular industry, look at people's output and think, oh, you've been busy and they don't see like the years or decades of work that went behind it. Absolutely. Um, I think that story really is, is a great way to illustrate that. Um, uh, but a couple of questions did, uh, I may have read this wrong, but I thought that you narrated the memoir yourself. Is that right? I did. Yes, that's cool. true. It, it was hard. I have to say, if, if I could travel back in time, I probably would have taken some voice lessons or some coaching. Um, my editor with Audible was wonderful, and we had tried to get a few celebrity narrators, but they were unfortunately, they said they were busy. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe the story didn't speak to them, or maybe they had, you know, 
more lucrative opportunities, who knows? But I do, I do sort of wish because people, as I'm sure most writers know, people in the comments and review section can be cruel. <laughs> and a lot of people will say, oh, this would have been better with a professional narrator or uh, so, it, you know, which is hard to read. But then on the flip side, you get a lot of people who say, I really enjoyed hearing the author tell their own story. And I would say that's something that I enjoy too. I, I really love hearing the person who wrote the work read it. So, yeah. So I think there's there is an inter, there's benefits either way. Either you get someone else's creative contribution, or you can hear that author's authentic voice, which is really special. Um, and I don't think you mentioned what's the title of your young young adult thriller. Oh, it's He'll Be Waiting. He'll Be Waiting. All right. Thank you. Um, well, hearing this story about um, rejection and persistence, um, and that is kind of the meat of our, our topic today. So what advice would you have for writers who might be really struggling maybe early in their career with the constant onslaught of rejection that we all get pretty much regardless of our publishing path? Exactly. I think that this really is an industry where you have to have a thick skin and you have to really believe in yourself. I think I kind of look at rejection two ways. One, I think it's bound to happen. Either, you know, somebody just might not be the right person to read your book. And I think what I try to tell myself is I, I will sometimes look at a bestseller list or what's popular uh, with friends. And it might be a book that I got maybe 30 pages into and just thought, this isn't for me. But that just might be my taste. Other people love it and I respect that. And so I try to tell myself, you know what, that maybe this isn't the right person to champion my work. But then on the other side of things, I would say, if you get a rejection, where somebody has some really helpful or insightful, actionable feedback, I think it's good to take that to heart. It might sting initially to read it. I mean, I think it, it always does. And you can write it off as like, well, this is just one person's opinion and I don't agree. But I think if you can maybe take a few days or a week or two and come back and say, okay, is there anything of value here that maybe I should really look at to go back and strengthen this or make it better? But I think unfortunately, or fortunately in this field, so much is subjective. And then also you'll find people who are kind of saying, well, we've had a lot of this type of book. Now we want something this. And so I think write the book that you love as opposed to trying to chase a trend or ride a wave because by the time your book comes out, it'll probably be at least, if you go with a traditional publisher, a couple of years. So I would say just write the story that you want to read, which is, I, I think, a paraphrased quote of Toni Morrison's. But, um, and just, I think with the rejection, just I try to think, um, you know, maybe that wouldn't have been the best person to support me on my journey anyway, if they don't love it the way I do. And just keep going until you find that person who does or take the feedback they've sent, see if it works for you, if you can improve your story and then send it right back out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, what do you think about the techniques like maybe sitting on feedback for a bit, especially for, the feedback we might get not from a rejection from an agent or editor, but from critique groups um, or critique partners. Sometimes that can be also hard to hear. 
It can, absolutely. But I think you're right. I think sitting on it maybe, because I think a lot of times, I mean, I feel like I've been at this so long that when I first started, my first reaction was almost to be defensive or say like, but what this was what I was trying to say, or, oh, maybe they just didn't understand it. But I think now I'm kind of, I come from a place of kind of like, okay, that's interesting. Uh, and if it doesn't initially resonate with me, I'll think, okay, you know what, I'm just going to wait and come back and look at this in a week or two weeks or just kind of almost turn it around in my mind like is there a way to work this in is that a better idea like or is this character not true to the way I've set them up to be or you know because I think it's you never know how readers are going to interpret it or you might have one intention and somebody reads it a completely different way so I think you have to take all of that into consideration and and really if it speaks to you try try to work it in as best you can yeah yeah and I, I like that that phrasing of can I work this in and sometimes it's it's not always the way that person has suggested it there's a quote I'm going to paraphrase here from um Neil Gaiman that if you it when when the reader points out something's not working they're almost always right but when they tell you how to fix it they're almost always wrong Yes, I've seen that quote too. And I think so. I think that's really important in the workshops that I've been in. Our instructor has tried to say like, you know, you're, you're here to kind of give how you take in the work, but not to rewrite the work. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of point out just as you said, what works and what doesn't, but you don't necessarily have to offer a solution there. So I think that that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So I think sometimes, and this isn't true of all of it, sometimes that Oh, they didn't get me or they don't this isn't what i want for the direction of the work that that instinct is really just telling you they've told you how to fix it in the way that's not how you fix it um exactly. so you right. have to find your own solution um yeah so let's it, if you'd like to, to to pivot maybe to talking about the way that the support of a a good critique group and a, or good critique partners can help you in this um, really <laughs> sometimes emotionally rough business. Absolutely. So I, I ended up taking, I've taken many workshops over the past few years, and I would say they were especially helpful during the pandemic to be able to connect over Zoom and, and see some friendly faces and know that you sort of weren't working completely in isolation, that there were people out there who were you know, crafting stories and still trying to be creative at a time when so much of the world felt just sad and hopeless. And so that was one aspect, but I would say before the pandemic began, I had decided to start an adult thriller and that's the one that was released in July, The Perfect Neighborhood. And so initially we started meeting in person. And I think one of my favorite things about it is that you are accountable. We would have to bring 10 pages to share. So I would say there, to me, there are so many benefits to the group, but I'll just list kind of my top ones. The accountability, you know, I know you're a parent also, and it's very easy to say, okay, well, I can't write today because this kid has practice or I have a, meet, a work meeting, all these things, you can kind of give yourself excuses. But when you've paid your money and you've got this workshop coming up and you know you've got 10 pages due, you're gonna get those 10 pages you know, typed and as, in as good a shape as you possibly can. And then the other thing we would do is read that work aloud. And I think that's such a wonderful way to catch 
dialogue that doesn't ring true, words you've overused, um, things that just come across as false notes or, or even with pacing. Am I slowing down this story by, you know, walking you through a dining room in someone's home that, <laughs> you know, you could have just maybe used one descriptor and cut right to the chase. And so I think a lot of those imperfections are really easy to hear. And then the other thing I think is you can hear other people's practices, like what is working for them as a writer? What's keeping them disciplined, focused? Have they read any craft books that have been helpful to them, you know, that week, that month, anything that they'd like to share? And then also to get their feedback in real time. Uh, you know, sometimes if you're going for a comedic line and you get a laugh, you think it's encouraging, like, okay, that worked. Or, you know, with suspense, if you hear someone gasp, you think, okay, that, that landed, that did what I wanted. And conversely, if you're not getting any reaction, you kind of go home and think, all right, I really need to rework that because it didn't, it didn't come out the way I'd hoped. Yeah. Yeah. Getting those reactions in real time is, is a special moment. I, I, I think every author has had those moments where they handed their work over to someone and heard them laugh or gasp and you're like, yes. Right, exactly. I don't know if you've read, there's an essay, I think, by David Sedaris, who, where he says, like, why aren't you laughing? Like, he'll give something to his partner, Hugh, and then he waits in the other room to hear him laugh. <laughs> and that, I could just really relate to that. Oh, my, I do this as well. I hand chapters over to my husband, and I, I'm, like, hoping for the laugh. <laughs> or hoping for, occasionally being surprised when it goes, like, no! It's like, yay! And a reaction! <laughs> Yes, you know that it's working. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, a lot of, of workshops and getting that feedback in real time and reading it out loud. And there's a lots of different options, though, that people can have if that's not necessarily the format that works for them. Absolutely. Yes, I think, um, you know, one thing that I did was a uh, few people and I in our workshop kind of connected and so we would continue to meet afterwards and and that was nice too in a smaller group where people who kind of people because some people i mean let's be honest some people's help that feedback is more helpful than others and so you know you kind of just like with the feedback itself if you can kind of pick and choose what works or you know is this the audience i was once in a workshop where this man said um you know i think your writing is good but i would never read a book written by a woman and I, my chin hit the table and I just thought, wow, uh, first of all, I can't believe <laughs> someone feels that way. I mean, I, unfortunately we can believe it, but I can't believe you would say that. And then I thought too, this isn't really somebody whose opinion, knowing that you hold that opinion, I, it kind of discredits the rest of your opinions in my opinion. So uh, I knew right then I would kind of take everything you said with a grain of salt. So, uh, but I think, you know, now there are so many online um, workshops that you can attend, so many things where you can kind of do them at your own pace. You sign up and then the videos are sent to you and you can kind of learn at your own pace and what works best for your lifestyle. Yeah, there's a lot of different options um, nowadays, both in person and online. So workshops are one way to find um, critique partners or an entire critique group, but there are lots of other ways as well, aren't there? 
Yes, absolutely. I know Meetup is one that I had attended, just meeting a bunch of writers in a restaurant. And they kind of, I would guess they had been meeting for a while. And so they were saying, oh, so-and-so isn't here today, but he's got a wonderful story about this. And it's it was such a nice supportive group, free of charge. You know, you could kind of come when it was good for you. And then, you know, there were, I guess, very low expectations in terms of commitment, which I think people liked for for their lives, not being locked in or spending a lot of money to be there. Yeah, yeah. So there are lots of different options. There are workshops that can range the range the gamut from affordable to pricey. There are lots of totally free options. You can um, look at look at like local community centers or libraries or maybe writers groups that meet up there. Um, you can connect with people over social media. You can join um, can join like genre specific writing organizations like Sisters in Crime if you write crime fiction or the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And yeah. both of those have been great places for me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm also, I'm a big fan of the Authors Guild. Um, they provide wonderful resources, webinars, things like that. And you have, there's a forum where you can ask any questions that you'd like, and the community is very generous with, with their answers and their time. Yeah, so look around and you can find a lot of um, general authors, organizations, organizations local to your area organizations that are specific to your genre or category and those are great places to meet other writers absolutely um, yeah and it can to kind of take some time to find the right critiquers or the right group as you mentioned not everyone is the right audience or the dynamic of the group is is off Exactly. Right. It is. It's kind of a special alchemy to find the right people. And I will say I was really fortunate when I mentioned that first group when I went to work, uh, workshop my adult thriller. One woman was writing a novel that was sort of autofiction about a real life experience that she was kind of embellishing. And another writer was uh, working on a middle grade fantasy story. So we were coming from completely different angles. And yet I felt like we were such a good group for one another in terms of providing helpful, constructive feedback of what, you know, really sharing what we loved, maybe things that uh, we didn't get on the first read, but uh, it was such a wonderful group. And I thought that was so interesting because we were all working on different pieces and yet somehow it worked. So it is kind of like a magical thing when you find that, that kind of group that, that comes together and supports you in the way you're hoping they will. Yeah, it's really um, a special thing. And it, and like you said, it's not necessarily the people who are working on really similar topics that that are make up that that magical, perfect group. Um, yeah, so these are uh, I don't know if this has been your experience, but my experience from um, benefiting from having critique partners and critique groups or just having author buddies in general is not just the feedback to improve my work, but having somebody who understands this industry and can kind of be, you know, a listening ear when you do deal with all of the, um, all the rejection, all the ups and downs that come with it. Absolutely. I think I do agree. I think people who are outside of this don't necessarily understand. And I think, I don't know if it's been your experience, but you'll spend years working on a book and somebody will say, 
all right, you know, I, I really loved it. I read it in three days. When's your next one? Where's your next one coming out? And I think they have no idea what's going on behind the scenes that, you know, chapter one took me two months to, <laughs> to get it right. I can't just, you know, come about it. And it's nice. I mean, it's lovely that people are waiting, but I think too, I think they don't understand really what goes into the actual writing or people who will say, I have an idea about this. Why don't you just go home and write this? And, and I, so I think nobody, um, understands quite like a fellow writer will uh all the different aspects that can be challenging oh yeah the whole so i read it in two weeks when's the next one uh i read it read it rather in two minutes it's the next two hours who's the next when's the next one um right and then people i mean i think they mean well but they'll say yeah. like have, have you tried to ch change this into a screenplay have you thought about writing a sequel have you and uh you know you're you're kind of like i'm i'm just um <laughs> and then so much now depends on authors to market yourselves too mm -hmm. i mean your publisher's doing something but it's also up to you to kind of put yourself out there and promote your work and that's a whole other sort of, I would say, skill set, and also something that demands a lot of your time. Hmm. So once you have something out there, you're not just writing anymore. You're kind of trying to promote what you have written. You're connecting yeah. with other authors. You're trying to be a good literary citizen by promoting other things you've read. And so it really, it, it becomes kind of this whole other side of a career that I think other people don't necessarily know about who are outside of the writing world yeah yeah they they kind of think the job is to sit at the keyboard and then you just go and they don't see like the the research and the plotting and the revision and um exactly. and all all that other their side of the business side of being an author which is like doubly true for those of us who self-publish and Absolutely. people will sometimes say oh but this the speed of self-publishing is faster and it can be but you still have to do all this other stuff <laughs> Exactly. You still have right. to edit the book and produce the book, and that takes time. Absolutely, yeah. I think um, it really is like I think people see all of these books coming out and think it's just kind of like oh one two three write it put it up there you go on to your next one, and it's it's a much longer process and a harder process just to to stay motivated. You know, I think a lot of times people will say things and I want to say to them, you know what, go home, try to write 90,000 words and then come back <laughs> and we'll talk about this again. Cause I think it's, it's a whole different beast when you sit down to do it yourself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you become much more picky with your ideas once you have written those 90,000 words because not every, not every idea that pops in your head ends up becoming a book. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a bit about um, critique and uh, about having those groups and how that can support um, support you on this roller coaster of a writing life. Uh, but I want to get to Joy's question. And I, she says, I'm all about health and wellness for writers. Do you have any tips or want to describe your own wellness practice that supports your creativity? And I would imagine that can also help with dealing with the super emotional roller coaster that is being a writer. Yes, that's a great question, Joy. Thank you so much. Um, I think so much of this is almost like a mental game. I'm not an athlete, but I know people will talk about being like a baseball pitcher and how so much is in your head and, um, and also kind of like uh, 
almost the superstitiousness of athletes of like, I have to wear this. Like I'll kind of think to myself, okay, if I heard from this, if I got an email from this editor at 10 in the morning, I'll probably get one at 10 in the morning again. And it's just, it's kind of all of these like mental games that you play with yourself. So things that I try to do to stay positive, I take a lot of walks and I think that's really good. Even if the weather isn't great, I try to bundle up and go out for 30, 45 minutes and just really clear my head. I think it gives you a lot of perspective. I also try to step away. I'll leave my phone home sometimes for large chunks so that I'm not feeling compelled to constantly check in and see like, have I heard back yet? You know, does anybody like this? And um, I know a lot of times on social media, we'll see people saying, um, you know, almost like a watched submittable, never, you know, it's not going to necessarily move you into like in process or approved. So I also read a lot. I read across genres and um, I think just seeing other things that people are doing and admiring their work is really motivating for me to just think like, I loved this book and I want to be part of this world. I want to stay part of this. And um, and then, as you said, I think having writer friends that you can lean on in those difficult times. I have one friend, uh, she self-publishes, and we email many times a week to just kind of commiserate about um, when you get stuck in the middle of a plot, when you're in the middle, or, you know, what's a good name for a character, or, um, you know, how am I going to end this? I think that's a hard thing. It's like, you know, it's hard enough to end chapters, but it's really hard to end a novel. Like, how are you going to land that plane? So I think all of, all of those things. And then at night too, I, I try to watch a lot of TV, kind of mindless, like fluffy TV, but some things that are, I have to say, I just watched Bad Sisters on Apple TV, which is something that I loved. And I wish that I, I could write something like that because um, the structure of it just really, you know, kept me waiting for the next episode, almost like a real page turner, but I, I loved that. So I, I, try to, I try to take in a lot of entertainment that I'm hoping to also put back out in the world to, to stay motivated and also see what's current, what other people are enjoying. Yeah, all great tips. Um, so exercise is really great way to kind of, even just taking a brief walk can boost your energy levels. Um, yeah. And I like that you take screen breaks so you can't, can't even be tempted to pull it out of your pocket. <laughs> Have a look. Um, because we can totally do that all day long. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so this has been a really great chat, Liz. Um, do you Thank have you any? Thank you, Joy, for the great question. Yeah. So, do you have any parting thoughts you'd like to share with listeners? Um, I guess one thing I would say is I've had over the course of a few years friends who have kind of given up, unfortunately, who've just felt like this is hard. I didn't, um, I didn't get the success that I was hoping or the reaction, you know, whether it's from literary journals, agents, editors. And I would just 
say that sometimes I try to take a step back and think, why did I start this in the first place? Like, because I love words and I love stories and I love those moments when a character takes you in a direction you never saw coming or you write a sentence and you're kind of like, where did that come from? So I would say, um, you know, for people who are tempted to give up, I would say just like, remember why you started for the love of like, even if it's a hobby that you do for yourself, that hasn't gotten you where you were hoping it was gonna go, I would just say stick with it. And eventually, you know, sometimes you need to take a step back and almost like heal from the harshness of not, not getting what you want and then come back to it with fresh eyes and maybe a little bit more energy. But I would say, you know, I, I think I didn't publish my first book until I was 50. And I think a lot before that, I was just afraid of the rejection or the amount of work involved that might not ever see the light of day. And I wish that I hadn't talked myself out of it earlier. I wish that I had, you know, I of course have hundreds of typed pages in bags, in drawers and <laughs> in the back of closets. And I, I wish I had stuck it out a little earlier. So I would say, just believe in yourself and, and don't give up. Yeah, great advice. Um, says this business, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of luck and there's but there's Absolutely. also a lot to do with persistence. I yeah. think persistence is more valuable than talent. I think so too. Right. A lot of times I'll say to friends who are tempted to give up, I think the thing that separates people who end up being really successful from people who just decide to pursue another hobby is just sheer determination. Just mm -hmm. and you know, that discipline of I'm gonna sit in this chair every day and I'm going to gut it out and just finish this book and see where it takes me. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier you made a comparison earlier about um baseball players and this being a very mental game um and just as we're talking i'm remembering somebody who also made a similar comparison um with you know getting rejections and getting home runs and the players who get the most home runs are the players who do the most at bats so just exactly get back up to the plate yes that's great advice yeah, so it's been wonderful to have you on uh, the show this morning, Liz. Can you remind listeners where they can find you and your books online? Sure, thank you for asking. I'm always available on my website at lizalterman.com. Uh, if anyone is interested, I have book club questions, a whole section on my website. And I'm also happy if anyone chooses one of my books for a book club, I am available via Zoom or Skype to pop in. I like to say for as little or as long as you'll have me. And um, my, I'm also on Twitter at Liz Alterman and on Instagram at Liz Alterman. And I'd love to hear from readers. So, so please reach out. I'm happy to also answer any questions for any any writers who are you know looking for encouragement or need a little help I'm I'm always available yeah great great well I will put links in the show notes so you can go and check out everything that Liz does thank you again thank for you. coming on the show thank you Connie and thank you Joy I hope to chat again soon Thanks again for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Liz Alterman, and I hope it's encouraged you on your writing path, wherever that may take you. So um, as always, links are in the show notes of this episode, and as well in the show notes of this episode, ways to contact me or Joy, 
uh, as we are getting to the end of the year, you're thinking about editing, coaching, other services that you need before the end of the year, now is a great time to reach out, to book, to ask questions uh, before things get too full up because holidays do mean less time. So until next week, happy writing, folks. <laughs>